Amen. We've been in a series called The Miracles of Christmas, looking at all different kinds of miracles around the Christmas story. And uh, next week will be the final message in that series. And I'm excited to tell you that Mike Boswell, one of our deacons, is going to be bringing the word next Sunday morning. And uh, that's going to be on the miracle of God's love. And uh, I, that's going to be a powerful message. So this is my last segment in this series. And uh, today we're going to talk about, in my view, maybe the most focused miracle of all that relates to Christmas, and that is the miracle of the incarnation. The miracle of the incarnation. Uh, this, in my view, is, is far more important than when you talk about Christmas miracles, sometimes people's minds immediately go to the miracle on 34th Street. I just want you to know that these miracles are greater than the miracle on 34th Street. Uh, this is a real Christmas miracle. I mean, literally. Better than Santa Claus. It gives us something far better than the latest gadget or game. The miracle of God becoming man. The miracle of God taking on human flesh. That is what is called the incarnation. Now, there's a story of a father who was putting a four-year-old uh, child to bed one night and uh, did all the normal routines and, you know, tucked them in and finished their prayers and told the story, read the stories and, and repeated the bedtime stories and kissed his son and he turned the light off. And immediately when he turned the light off, the four-year-old boy started crying. And y'all had the experience before? Yeah. So the kid started crying and he said, please, please, dad, don't leave me. Don't leave me. And he just, you know, would hold on to his dad, you know, weeping and sobbing and, you know, a real fit. And uh, he said, I'm scared. I don't want to be alone. Please stay with me. And the father tried to encourage the little boy. And of course, like many of us would do, said, you need to remember God's here. God's presence is here. He's right here. You have nothing to fear. And the little boy paused to think about that for a moment, and then he said this. He said, I want somebody with skin on. <laughs> I thought about that cute little story, and I realized, really, the kid had greater revelation than he realized because that is the greatest message of the incarnation. It is Jesus coming in human flesh. It is God with skin on. That's what the incarnation is all about. So Christmas is about the incarnation of Christ. We need to strip away, as Denise was admonishing us this morning, the seasons hustle and bustle, the trees, the cookies, the extra pounds. And what remains at the center of it all is the humble birth story and a simultaneously stunning reality, the incarnation of the eternal Son of God. This, this incarnation, which is simply the word meaning God himself becoming human. Uh, this is a glorious fact, and it's too often neglected or forgotten during this season. Therefore, today, I want to challenge you to go with me and think deeply and think well about the miracle of the incarnation. So first of all, we're going we're gonna to present three things today, the the, the, first of all, the, the message of the incarnation, and then we're going to talk about the meaning of the incarnation, and then thirdly, the ministry 
of the incarnation, what that really ministers to you and to me. First of all, let me just review some scriptures with you about the met, which include the message of the incarnation. Where do we discover in the scriptures about the incarnation and the coming of, uh, of God in human flesh? Uh, a couple of helps here on the screen, and I'll read some of them to you. Uh, the prophecy which we looked at, actually, the very first message we taught on the miracles of Christmas had to do with the miracle of fulfillment. And I mentioned the scripture then as a prophecy spoken hundreds of years before Jesus ever was born. But in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, the prophet Isaiah prophesied and said what? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. <clears throat> now, you know, I know it's probably obvious to you, and, and I've seen it before, but a, a light uh, refreshed on my radar even this week as I was thinking about this prophecy. Doesn't, if you, we're so familiar. Have y'all ever discovered, this is maybe I'm just confessing sin here. <laughs> Familiarity with scripture is sometimes the greatest barrier to revelation. Yes. If I said to you this morning, everybody turn to John 3.16, half of you would say, I'm going to turn. I know that. I don't, I don't even need to turn to the verse. I've got it. Memorized it as a kid, still know it. To, but our familiarity many times blocks our ability to see fresh insight, fresh revelation. I was just rereading uh, this uh, again this week, preparing for today. Isaiah 7, 14, just, just look at this phrase. The virgin shall conceive. Just drip away all your Christmas knowledge. The virgin shall conceive. Does anybody see a problem with that? Hmm? Even just that phrase ought to impact us as cluing us into the fact that we're talking about a miracle. We're talking something supernatural here if a virgin is going to conceive. But that was the prophecy, right? And, you know, the incarnation is the chief distinctive. It has been said by many. It is the chief distinctive of our Christian faith. That God became a man in order to save us. That is unique to Christianity alone. There's nothing like it. In any other religion, any other world religion, this is unique to those of us that are true born-again Christians. Let's look at the next one. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, I'm not going to camp out on there. Hopefully, you have some understanding of what that verse means. But it goes on a little bit later in verse 14 and adds to that. John adds to that. And the Word, and we just talked about the Word in verse 1, and that Word became flesh. It says the Word was God. And verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. That, verse 14, capsulizes the incarnation miracle in one phrase, in one verse. The Word became flesh, became human flesh. God took on human flesh and he lived 
and he dwelt among us. And I love this phrase that John adds. He says, and we, he's not speaking to you. He's speaking of himself and others. He said, and we who've been here, were here during his, his life on earth, we have what? We have seen his glory. We are, we can give a testimony. We can give a witness because we've seen it. We've known him. We have seen him in action. We have watched his character. We know his personality. Wow. This means that there were eyewitness evidences to support the claim that the Son of God came to earth as the man Jesus. A lot of people, when you say the idea of being Christian, people think Christianity and being Christian simply is about having certain values and certain principles in our life. But I want you to know something. It's about real events. It's about real things that have happened historically. And here is where it began in this awesome historical event of word becoming flesh. One more scripture there in Galatians chapter 4. In short, it says, And God sent this one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. Aren't you glad? God did it. That's a fact. But so that what? So we might live. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you're living spiritually. You're not just existing. You have a spiritual life on the inside of you. And we have that because God took on flesh and became human. All right. So that is the message of incarnation. Let's look at the meaning of the incarnation. So if that's the message of it, what is the actual meaning of it? I want to simplify it as much as I can without taking away any of the precious truth. It means, number one, that Jesus was all God. Jesus was all God. <laughs> it's all right, Estrita. It's all right. We've all done it from time to time. It's all right. Just because it's being live streamed all over the world, it really doesn't matter, Estrita. <laughs> I've just given you a hard time today. I'm sorry. I'm in the Christmas spirit. All right. Number one, it means that Jesus was all God. This is, this is critical truth. God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And when he came, he had all the attributes of God. He possessed those. John teaches us that he never began to exist and he will never cease to exist. He has always been. He is the Alpha and he is the Omega. We know in John chapter 1 and verse 3, he confirms to us that he also was the creator of all things. You know, the Son of God was part of the creation team. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit involved in creating the planets, the universe, the world, and all that is in it. Wow. Colossians 1, 16 says, For by Him, by Christ, for by Him all things were created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, that are visible, invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. That pretty well puts it all together, doesn't it? Wow. Wow. He knows all things. He has all 
power. We're talking about Jesus, God on earth. He has all authority. In Matthew, of course, we know in chapter 28 and verse 18, as he's preparing to give us what we call the Great Commission, Jesus declared clearly, he said, he said all power has been given unto me. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. He has authority. He has the folks, he has authority over sickness and death. He has authority over, uh, over, over our environment, over the atmosphere, over the fact that the world is spinning on its axis today. He has authority over the laws of nature. He could suspend them. But he has authority over them all. He has authority over demons and every dark thing. He has authority over it all. He depends on nothing outside of himself for life. He is eternal. He doesn't need us to exist. But he chose to come and to be the Son of Man. Not only the Son of God, but to be the Son of Man so that we could benefit. He was all God. Amen? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus was all God. Turn to your neighbor. All right, second truth. It means that Jesus was all man. We like to say that Jesus Christ was 100% divine and 100% human. That's the truth. 100% God. He's not 50% God and 50% human. Some people have these weird, cockeyed ideas. Oh, he's 50%. That would be a bit of a monster. He's 100% God, and he's 100% man. So what does the Bible tell us? How do we know that this means that Jesus was all man? Well, as we've already read in John 1.14 is one great scripture, and that was when it speaks of the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. That is Jesus being man. But also in Philippians, in chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, let me just read to you this wonderful, uh, very doctrinal passage in the epistle to the Philippian church. It says, Let this mind be in you, Paul admonished, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, and he took upon him the form of a servant. And he was made in the likeness of men. He was made in the likeness of men. God becoming man. This teaches us what? He was all man. And then we have in 1 John chapter 4, this great scripture that says, and by this you know the spirit of God. You want to be able to test a spirit to know whether it's of God or not? Listen to the test. This is the vet, the way to vet it. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. If you ever hear a teaching that denies or detracts from the humanity of Jesus or the deity of Jesus, if it, if, if it denies or detracts from either of those, even a fraction, you need to question it as not being true. Because the whole t- idea is, he, John's trying to help us discern, there's a lot of weirdness being, going around. A lot of strange teachings. A lot of strange books. A lot of strange messages. And he's teaching us here, here's one way you can know. Make sure that the message and the spirit of the message, the, 
the Spirit is, will confess and declare, yes, he has come in the flesh, and he's from God. Amen to that. It means Jesus was not only all God, he was also all man. He is, listen to the statement I wrote down, Jesus is just as completely human as you are. He's just as completely human as you and I are. And yet he was equally God. He said, I can't get my head around that. It's a miracle. Just, just chalk it up. It's supernatural. It was miraculous. He had a human body. He had a human mind. He had a human soul. He was all man. So now we've looked at this important message and the meaning of the incarnation. Can we just highlight the ministry of the incarnation? And what I want to do here is just talk about what the fact of the incarnation, which hopefully you've bought into and you accept as truth, what does that mean for you and me today? Can we make it practical? What can we take away on a personal level? And what assurances does this give us if it is true? Let me just share with you several. Number one, it means that we can know God in a personal way. We can know God in a personal way. 1 John chapter 1 in verse 2 and 3 says, The life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. John was declaring, we've seen this up close and personal. God wants you to know today that you can know him personally if you don't. You know, there's a big difference between knowing about someone and knowing them. Many of us might say, oh, I would say, do you know Winston Churchill? And if you were honest, you would have to say, well, I don't know him, I know about him. But the fact that you read books and history and seen movies doesn't mean you know Winston Churchill. You understand? You know about him. But there's a difference between knowing about him and knowing him personally. That's a huge difference. By the way, you, you probably know this, but Greek mythology. Uh, I've heard agnostics make this point. They say, well, you know, Greek mythology, there's many stories of gods becoming men. So what's the big deal about your faith? Uh, the difference is this. Never once did man ever have a relationship with those little G-gods. Big difference. God, the Father, God became the Son of Man, took on human flesh so that we could know Him and relate to Him in a personal way. Paul prays in the book of Ephesians that we might know Him better. The word know is a word that suggests intimate, intimate knowing. God wants you and me. Yes, you say, well, I know him. I met him, eight, I, I met him 48 years ago. But he wants you to know him better. You may have been introduced to him. But how well do you know him? Or do you just focus on learning about him? 
God wants to embrace you and to draw you into a more personal walk with him. And I think we could all agree, Lord, let 2019 be a time where I'm more intimately aware and know you really heart to heart, not just about you, but I want to know you more. I hope you agree with me. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is the irrefutable proof that God will do anything to draw us to him. He'll do anything. He even gave his only son, put him through the pains of our sinful world so that he could draw us near to himself. That's powerful. That's the first application of this principle and doctrine. We can know God in a personal way. Number two, the truth is that God understands our every need. The incarnation demonstrates to us that God understands us. You may sometimes feel like no one understands you. You may feel like, you know, no one knows what I'm going through. And the truth is, maybe there's no other human alive today that knows what you're going through, but the Bible teaches us in Hebrews that Jesus knows. He knows what you are going through. He sympathizes with it. He relates to it. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. Watch this. In order that he might become a merciful, merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus came to identify with us. He identified with every temptation that you will ever face. He is fully identified and acquainted with it. And yet, what's the difference? He never sinned. There are a lot of people who just don't feel like God understands them. But the Bible teaches us that he came as a high priest. And he came and he lived on this earth that he might be acquainted with life and what humanity faces so that today we could chalk it up and say, he understands. He's un- he understands. As a faithful high priest who sympathizes with your weakness, who understands your struggle, don't feel like God doesn't care. He not only cares, he understands it because of what Christ has been through. Can we look at another wonderful truth that has application? We have help. For our every need. For our every need. This reinforces the second point too, but let me read to you from Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. I'll read the whole thing. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, how many of you know that Jesus came to be the great high priest? To replace the high priest? We don't need to have the liturgical high priest anymore. We have a great high priest. We don't need anybody standing between us to represent us to God because Jesus has done it once and for all. Can someone say Amen. So he is our great high priest. But listen to what it goes on to say. It says, since we have this great high priest who has ascended into heaven now, Jesus, the Son of God, let us firmly, firmly hold on to the faith that we profess. We do not have, this is verse 15, relates to what we just talked about. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. No, it's not that kind of high priest. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. Just as we are. And yet, he did not sin. Let us, therefore, let us approach God's throne of grace. How? With confidence, with boldness. When you understand this, you can approach him with boldness. So that we, Why do we approach the throne of grace? Because we have a need. We either need receive mercy, or the Hebrew writer says, to find grace to help in your time of need. In your time of need. Listen, if you're in a time of need, I think I'm there every day. Y'all relate to that? I, 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 you know, I don't know that I ever go through a day with that. I'm like, oh, Lord, I've got to have another need to bring to the throne of grace. I'm always reminded I don't have to be ashamed of that. I, I don't have to pull back. I don't need to apologize for that. I can come boldly. I can come with confidence between the throne. You know why? Because it is a throne of grace. If it was a throne of condemnation, I'd stay away. Right? But it's not a throne of condemnation or guilt. It's not like approaching like, oh, man, I'm going to... How many of you ever were called in the principal's office? Now, come on, be honest with it. My hands up. I was called in the principal. Man, I was shaking in my boots because I knew I was getting ready to get some kind of penalty, some kind of punishment. I wasn't sure what, how bad it was going to be, but I got called in the principal's office. Some of you homeschoolers have never been called into the principal's office. <laughs> Oh, mama's the principal's office. I get it. Okay. Maybe y'all do understand. But the point of the matter is you walk in kind of like this. Oh, what's going to happen? When we come before the throne of grace in God's presence, never, ever, ever do we have to walk in that way. You can walk in with confidence, say, oh, I'm so thankful for grace because I don't deserve it, but I'm here and you've given it. And now, Lord, I've got a need. I've got something in my life. I have a crisis. I have a problem, a trouble. But your scripture says you are a present help. Everybody say help. Help in time of need. To find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's look at number four. Another aspect of the ministry of the incarnation is that we have a perfect answer for sin. A perfect answer for our sins. Scripture makes it clear. Hebrews once again. In chapter 7 and verse 25, I'll just read a couple of the verses here. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Goes on to talk about him being a high priest. And then it says this in, in, in the end of verse 27. He, talking comparing to the sacrifices that used to in the Old Testament be made every day and all the time. And it says this. But he sacrificed his life for our sins once for all. Once for all. When he offered himself. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad it's been done. He offered himself once and for all to cover, to take care of the sin problem. He doesn't need to go back to the cross again. It's finished. It's done. 
For the law appoints as high priests men and all their weakness. Uh, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. That's why in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, we know that if we sin, what do we simply need to do? Confess our sin. And he'll be faithful and just to what? Forgive us. He is so ready to forgive you from your sins. He is so ready to give you a new life. That is a great promise. Let's go to number five quickly. We have an example to follow. Part of the significance in the ministry of the incarnation is the fact that now he's provided for us because God became human flesh. He provides a what? A model. You know, you need, you know I, I remember you used to have students who would say to me all the time, uh, Dr. Hill, could you give me a template? This is a, this is a common inquiry among students. What they're really asking for is, can I copy off of something else so that I don't have to be original, that I don't have to, like, really think too hard about this? So you can kind of give me a template. What they mean is a template, something that's already been done, and then I'll just kind of, you know, copy and paste. It's no, no template. <laughs> Sorry, you're going to have to really think in this class. <laughs> but, but the good news is in life, the template is useful. Because the template, the model, the example is Jesus Christ. He gives us an example on how to treat people. He tells us how to minister to people. He shows us how the values, the principles that we should espouse. He tells us behavioral things. He tells us emotional things. He tells us how we ought to pray for those that are lost and undone. He tells us how to share the good news. He teaches us even how to lay hands on the sick and let them recover. He teaches us how to cast out demons. Jesus, because of the incarnation, gave us a life model an example to follow just trace it just use his template follow it to the t and you'll be just fine and of course we can only do that through the enablement and the power of the holy spirit amen but the scripture tells us in philippians chapter i'm sorry in ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1 clearly admonishes us to do what just follow god's example paul says this isn't hard. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave up himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And that's why Paul could say in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind, let this attitude, the same approach, the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus, that's what you need. Can we adopt the example? the attitudes of Jesus as we go through this life. God today wants us to understand how powerful this miracle of the incarnation is. And he also wants us to apply it practically, as we just noted. Would you stand with me this morning? I want our prayer teams to come forward, but I feel impressed today to pray um, a general prayer of faith with you and ask that you would be responsive to this um, as a part of what we talked about being the incarnation of Jesus. Um, we talked about at the fact that he is all God and all man. And in his divinity, he has all the attributes of God. And 
He has power and authority over sin. His power and authority over sickness. He has power and authority over satanic attack. He's got power and authority over temptation. And I feel this morning that some of you are facing one or more of those things. And I just want to pray off of the foundational principle that we established today that he's over all. And he has authority over it all. And he wants us to live at a higher level of both holy living and abundant living than we have been. So if you're here today and you're saying, I'm facing a sickness or I'm facing demonic attack or I'm facing oppression or I'm facing temptation that I just can't deal with. I'm dealing with stuff that I need God's intervention in my life. I want to pray with you and ask Jesus to just step right into the middle of your life today and minister to you. If you're in any of those situations, would you just raise your hand right now? Raise your hand. Any of them. All right, put your hands down. I'll pray with you in just a moment. There's some of you who are here, possibly in this service, that don't have a personal relationship with God. You know about Him, but you haven't really known Him. This morning, as soon as I pray this prayer, I'm going to ask that you would come forward and allow one of our prayer teams to pray with you. They're here to minister to you and to pray with you, whatever your need is. And if you don't have the right relationship with God today through Jesus Christ, I want you to just slip out of the aisle and come down and let one of these uh, teams pray with you today. If you had your hand up, would you raise it up one more time? And I want to pray right now for each of you. Hallelujah. Congregation, just agree with me. And if there may be someone standing next to you that you can just extend your faith towards them. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today to be reminded of God taking on human flesh. Today, because Jesus, we know that you constantly make intercession for us. You are making declarations before the Father on our behalf. We want to align and agree with you right now for needs that are present in this room right now. Lord, we're praying for people that have been overcome by the grip of sin, that can't seem to resist a temptation. Jesus, we thank you that you you faced every temptation and you resisted them. You resisted the devil and you overcame him and you remained sinless. And so we're asking that today that you would minister strength, courage, ability in us to say no to temptation and to resist all kinds of sin that might try to sneak into our lives. Lord, we're praying today for people who are sick because we know that, Jesus, you demonstrated authority over sickness and death and pain and suffering. Right now, those that are suffering from physical illness and pain and sickness that are in the house today, right now we pray. And Jesus, in your authority and in your name, we break the powers of sickness and pain and suffering off of their lives and we release healing. In the same way, Jesus, that you laid hands on people while you were on earth. Holy Spirit, now you are active right here. You laid your hands on them right now and minister health, minister healing, minister life to them right now. Jesus, you demonstrated authority over darkness and Satan and every demon. 
And right now we thank you that you've extended that authority to us. Holy Spirit, you're here to back it up. And so we take authority over every attack, over every lie, over every deception, over every uh, spirit that has come to bring darkness, oppression, and to limit our freedom in the name of Jesus. We bind Satan and every demonic power. We break its hold over these lives and we push you back now. We resist the devil. And we say, now, you can flee. You must flee. Lord, we embrace today all of your freedom. We embrace your truth. We thank you for the miracles of Christmas. Lord, let us celebrate them, not only today, but in the coming weeks. Lord, we honor and we praise you in all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Denise is going to come and just pronounce a blessing. And we don't do this as a matter of ritual. We do it because it works. Words spoken. The Holy Spirit will take them and activate them in your lives. So would you just kind of open up your hands to God. Denise is going to speak this blessing over you. And then you'll be dismissed at the end of this blessing. And you have a very, very blessed week. And if you need to come up for prayer, immediately... When she finishes, you come. May the Lord pour out the Holy Spirit into you, into every crack and crevice, every part of your being. May the Holy Spirit flood you with love and joy and peace until he overflows out of you and just spills out to those around you. May the Holy Spirit keep you guarded in perfect peace this week so that every uh, ungodly thought, every lie, every temptation is bouncing off of you in Jesus' name. May you stay in perfect peace. And I just pronounce the blessing of victory over you as you leave this place that you walk in victory hand in hand with Jesus, being able to stand firm and be strengthened in his might and power. In Jesus' name, amen.